and welcome to the Hospice News Elevate podcast. My name is Jim Parker, and I'm editor of Hospice News, and I am here with the co-founders of the end-of-life planning organization, Farewelling. Karen Bussin is an internationally recognized expert in the entertainment field who for 15 years has been producing events for celebrities and luminaries of business and culture. With Farewelling, she has shifted her focus to a personal passion of hers, changing perspectives around the end of life, one of our most personal and human journeys. Elizabeth Karansky is a licensed funeral director who holds an MBA and a certificate in thanatology, which is the study of death, dying, and bereavement. She brings a decade of expertise and personal passion to Farewelling, uh, and is dedicated to helping people understand and open up to new ideas about end-of-life planning. Uh, Karen and Elizabeth, thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim. We're really happy to be here. So I wanted to start um, by asking if you could each share a, a little bit about your own professional backgrounds and introduce us to Farewelling itself. Karen, would you like to start? Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned in that wonderful introduction, uh, thank you. I, uh, I come out of the worlds of hospitality and, and the restaurant industry. So I've spent, you know, the last 15 years in, in events, as you mentioned, and helping people through other, perhaps more joyous life events, uh, weddings and other celebrations like that. And so I, you know, have a, a long background of working with families through something that is an important, you know, milestone in, in their lives. And then in 2015, I had a personal experience um, with my younger sister who was diagnosed with a rare and fast-moving cancer. And it kind of really shook us all up in the family, obviously, and got me looking for some resources when I really thought that I was going to lose my sister. Thankfully, she is fine now. But it's the first time in my life when I really connected into the world of what it means to, you know, to experience loss and to have to navigate that. And just looking at it through my own lens as a modern woman, as a designer, as someone who is very connected to life events, I found that there was very little that spoke to me that was, you know, kind of out there. And um, there were some really bright voices here and there, but I had trouble like kind of tapping into them. And so it's just something that I kind of had on the back burner. I started to think about it and I had been looking for uh, a transition for myself to take some of the skills that I had, but to do something, just something new and potentially more, I don't want to say more meaningful because I did love my work, you know, in the world of events, but something where I could truly feel like I was changing something, you know, in a larger way and, and helping people. So I let myself do some research and, you know, speak to people in the field and, and did a lot of reading. And one of the people that I came across in my research was Liz. And so we met up and I had already decided that I was going to start this, this mission uh, with Farewelling. Um, but then I met Liz and we realized that we were very much aligned. And as it happened, she was one month out from planning her own wedding when we met. So, you know, she was a funeral director planning a wedding and I was a wedding planner, <laughs> you know, starting a, an end of life business. So it was pretty interesting. But we realized that we shared a lot of the same views on the topic and the things that did need to change and how we wanted to be a part of that change. And so that's how Farewelling really came into being. Excellent. Thank you. And Elizabeth, uh, would you share your story? 
Right. So I actually have been in this industry for over a decade. I was unfortunately introduced to it um, when planning my father's funeral. I was about 21 years old and had to plan a funeral for a person who I thought was larger than life and was kind of given the option of white roses versus red, and that was it. And so I did it myself. And we had what was kind of original at the time, which was a celebration of life. And we had music playing, we had rock and roll music. We had a jazz trio as people were entering. It was a really fun celebration. And at the quote-unquote after party, multiple people came up to me and said, you know, I, I don't know how to say this, but I had a really good time at your dad's funeral. And if God forbid something were to happen to me, would you plan mine? And I tried to take this as a silver lining and I decided this is my mission was to become a funeral director and plan really personalized, quote unquote, fun funerals. And so my first step was to work at a funeral home. I was there. I then went on to get my MBA. I became a funeral director. I became a sanitologist, a death doula. And all that time, it was more to really understand the funeral process, understand what families were going through. And I always was searching to not only remove the taboo of talking about funerals, but also really personalize funerals, not just have the cliche celebration of life and, you know, how everyone says, oh, I want my funeral personalized, but really they just are choosing a special flower or certain music, but really dive into it. And fortunately on my quest, I was lucky enough to have Karen reach out and as she said, it was just instant. We were aligned um, on our mission and fortunately personalities as well. So here we are today. Excellent. Thank you both for sharing that. And uh, I am sorry to hear about your father and, and Karen. I'm relieved to hear that your your sister is, is still with us. Could you uh, kind of introduce us to Farewelling and the work you're doing there? Yeah, I'll kick that off. And of course, Liz, as always, please finish my sentences. Um, <laughs> so Farewelling is an online platform. It's actually myfarewelling.com. And it's a place where we hope to offer tools and resources and lots of helpful content to families and individuals who are navigating the whole end of life space. And we really see that there, there's sort of two sides to that, that coin, one of which is what we call at need or at the time when someone, you know, or a family is navigating after a loss or just at the time, you know, before a loss, looking for resources, needing help to connect with um, with the things that they need, wanting to understand what next steps are, wanting to honor someone in a very unique, as Liz said, you know, personalized way, as we say, celebrate a beautiful life beautifully. So that's that's one side of the coin. And then the other is, our mission to try to help people plan for themselves in advance. So that kind of advanced planning aspect, because as all of us in this industry know, most people in America don't have a plan of any kind. So we created Farewell and we launched just at the end of, of 2019. So literally two months before the pandemic. And um, we decided that we were going to try to, First, come out and just be a resource. Just offer content, you know, tools, all, all sorts of things to help people along that way. And, and that's where we started. And we have come a very long way since then. We, we just hit um, a million people using the site 
2021. So that is a big milestone for us. But that is, you know, that's what we're doing with stairwelling. And we have a very big vision for the types of tools and, and resources that, you know, we're building now and also that we, we hope to build in the future. Excellent. Congratulations on, on that growth. So when we talk about, when we at Hospice News talk about end-of-life planning, we, we're often talking about advanced directives and clinical decisions. Uh, in the context of the work you're doing, how would you define end-of-life planning? I think end-of-life planning, while those papers are certainly crucial, I think we try to make it more of part of living, is simply having a plan. And I say that because I think our voice is not the voice you typically hear. You know, we, we say there's a bunch of kind of boxes that you could fall into, which is the get your bleep in order, the, you know, lawyerly voice, or there's kind of a goth take on to death. And we're kind of your best friends, the funeral planners. And we're doing this in a very calm and, you know, relatable way, which is that this is a tough topic. And those papers are important, but we have checklists and worksheets for people to go through and we say, do it on your own time. And I think it's crucial for people to get some plan in order before it's necessary. And I believe that it starts, quite frankly, in in my opinion, planning starts with thinking. And it's not just the moment you sign that paperwork. But thinking about what you want this to look like, what do you want your final celebration to look like? Um, what's important to you? What don't you want? And for me, that's the start of planning. Yeah. And I think also in thinking about, I think there's sort of two things. One is that, you know, there's this, as Liz said, sort of taboo that if I think about my death, maybe that's going to cause my death or it's going to create you know, negativity in my life. And I think quite the opposite is true. So we really have a mission around education around that, that, you know, this is not only something that can be a gift to others in terms of helping them to understand what you want, but it also can be a gift to yourself in terms of a more mindful approach to living. I I know for myself, I was never a person who even thought about death. And once I started to think about it and even think about it, you know, as it relates to myself, um, I found it a comfort. I found it empowering. And so we were trying to get that message out around the the holistic topic of the end of life being a part of the continuum of life. You know, and then there's also just the sort of practical, the logistics of it and the kind of thought exercise around it that I think more and more, especially with all the alternatives that are becoming available to us in this space, and that's only going to continue, that it gives us a chance to kind of take ownership of that and create something, create that plan that aligns with our values as, you know, people, <laughs> as as citizens, as human beings, as family members, as individuals. So, and and that also extends to our interests and even our personalities. So, of course, there's a cultural context. People who are very religious or traditional may have a certain way of approaching that. And yet, more and more, when people are looking for alternatives, they they might be making decisions based on other sorts of things, whether that is eco-friendliness or whether it is based in their own spiritual tradition or non-spiritual tradition. 
And so we are trying to meet people there to say, look, we're not here to tell you which is best. In a way, this is very akin to weddings. It's like you may be a couple who wants to get married on top of a mountain, or you may want a big bash at the pier, you know, in a ball gown. And both are fine and good. It's it's what's right for you. So we're trying to help people think about what's right for them and then to bring that into a place where they can share it with their loved ones and to think of that more as a gift as opposed to just eliminating burden. That makes sense. Thank you. And uh, are you able to share some details on how you established Farewelling, how you went about it, how you capitalized the business and, and where you plan to go from here in terms of growth? We are a startup, uh, in fact, and we are we are a corporation. Uh, we do have uh, some investor partners who have come on to help us, you know, start the business. Uh, we very much decided to launch with content and a message as a place um, because I think one of the things we first discovered is there just aren't very many places online where you would go where you would think, oh, you know, I mean, whereas you might think of a particular site if you were if you were getting married or if you were doing home improvement or you were doing some other important aspect of life within the space of end of life, who do you think of? You know, and so we decided to try to become that resource. Uh, that's how we started the business. And um, we focused very much on trying to provide useful content and, and tools. Um, we launched some free tools, the first of which was a memorial website builder. So we found that most of the time when someone has a loved one who dies, they create, you know, an obituary posting either on Facebook or they'll put it on, say, the funeral provider's website. And that's great. That's a resource and it's an option. But we couldn't really find a modern version of that, you know, like that was had a more design forward approach with maybe some beautiful templates and things like that. So we set out to create that and those became very popular. And so uh, now we've, we've just launched, we still have a, a free version of that, and we've launched a more premium version of that, which is a paid product that, you know, people can have and keep it for longer and have access to more planning tools and more resources and things like that. And then um, maybe, Liz, you want to talk about our other really, you know, product, which is the, the virtual event. Right. So in COVID, Obviously, people are gathering less, and it was really important for us to figure out a way to not lose the sense of connectedness after loss when, you know, you more than any other time need people around you. And in order to do so safely, we've built out a beautiful virtual funeral where it's not a Zoom link. It's actually a space where we can either do a virtual memorial or a hybrid option, which is that if a couple of family members are in the funeral home or gathered at a special place, they can set up and we can have a combination of both online and people in person gathering. And I actually, speaking as a funeral director who's kind of been here for a while, I can say that this is such a special offering in the sense that you really do feel like people are there with you and that you're able to gather and honor the person who's passed away. And we're even seeing benefits that we hadn't expected. For example, you can pre-record your speeches. So loved ones who may have struggled to speak in person are able to record a speech on their own time in their home and be able to get out the words that they want and also be there 
in the moment to enjoy the service and not be worried about the moment that they're going to get to the altar. In addition, you also forever have this can, you know, moment. You'll remember the recording. You have it with you. And our memorial sites, you can go back to. It's not just a funeral where everyone comes to you and for that hour or two hours, you feel like you're loved, but rather something that you have in existence for a while to go back to. I think our, our bigger vision as we, as we work and have more families taking advantage of these things would be to have kind of a network, almost like a family tree of life stories and tributes so that over generations, you know, a family could come and, um, you know, much like on an ancestry.com, mm-hmm. you can see dates and, you know, when they got married or when they died, you'd be able to actually look at photos and, and read stories and, you know, have this kind of connected within your own um, circle or network. So, that, I mean, that's the that's more of a long-term vision, but it's something that we're working toward. And uh, you mentioned that when the two of you met, you saw symmetries in your perspectives on end-of-life care. Um, can you add some color on, on how you would characterize your perspectives? So I've been in the industry for a long time, and personalization has become a hot topic. I don't think, you know, sometimes you need to look outside the box to really see something new. And that's where Karen came in is having come from an event planning side that wasn't funerals. Her take was, well, why can't this be like another event? Why can't it be as grand? And having been in the field, that was always something I was looking for was to really make this a true celebration. And this is not to remove any of the sadness around the funerals. I'm empathetic. I take grief seriously. But a lot of times, you know, you really need to celebrate. And it's not just about which type of casket you choose, but it's about truly honoring that person in every way. And as Karen mentioned, it can be having a green service. It can be having more than just serving wine at their service, but what type of wine, how is it served? And we were just very much in line with respecting um, not only the person that died, but also the families and what they're going through. And at the same time, being able to truly personalize and offer people different options. I think that's part of it is that in funerals, you don't have much time to plan. You know, weddings, you can have months and months, maybe even a year to plan. This is a quick moment. And a lot, oftentimes, families aren't aware of what could even be a potential opportunity. And so that's something that we've been really focused on is showing them what's out there. Karen has amazing about creating ideas and giving people the time to, to see and to get creative. Yeah, and I was gonna just—I was gonna call out one event that we we did earlier. Uh, well, actually, in 2021, and it was uh, for a family that was the, the mother who contacted us, and she had lost her her son. He was in his late 30s, and he died tragically in a car accident. And he was, you know, I mean, the family was just obviously extremely sad, and she was just broken up about it. He had already been cremated, and she wanted to do something for him, but she just couldn't quite get her arms around how to do something that would feel like him. And she found us and um, we worked together and we ended up, you know, asking questions about him. Who was he as a person? What did he, what was important to him? And it turns out that 
he loved to go fishing. Like every day of his life that he could go fishing, he would go and he would always go to one particular spot uh, in New York City on Staten Island. And so I said, well, I think we should try to do the memorial event there if we can. And um, we tried to get a permit and we were denied by the city. So our team, <laughs> I decided that we were going to go on a mission to get this permit. And we ended up, um, I happen to know that on a radio station here in New York City, once a week, there's a segment called Ask the Mayor, where people call in and ask the mayor of New York City to help them with their problems. And I said, okay, team, we're all going to dial in this Friday and we're going to get, one of us is going to get on the phone with the mayor of New York City and we're going to ask him for his help with this. And that's what we did. And, you know, we dialed in hundreds of times within like 15 minutes. And I happened to be the one who got on the air with Mayor Bill de Blasio. And he helped us and we got the permit and we were able to do this um, extraordinary, you know, and when, when Liz said, you know, we want to make the event grand, she doesn't mean like grand is in fancy. I mean, that could be right for someone, but this was a very simple celebration that we set up next to some tiki statues that we found on the beach. And we created an altar that was made up of all of his fishing gear and, you know, just certain other things he liked. He loved to drink Coca-Cola. So we brought the old fashioned Coca-Cola bottles and, and people brought flowers. Everyone brought something to put as an offering there. And there we were right out in the spot where he used to fish and people shared memories and it was a beautiful day and birds were flying over head. And his mother told us after the fact that it just, oh, and, and by the way, he loved, um, he loved tacos. So we hired a taco truck to come at the end and just be waiting as people walked out of this this beachside park and give them a taco if they wanted one. And it turned out to be a great place where people hung out and, you know, hugged each other and and talked for a while and, and just gathered. And, you know, his mother told us that this just transformed. It shifted the way. It didn't take away the sadness of losing her son, but it allowed her to kind of feel that he had been celebrated as himself, you know, truly. And the number of people who had never been to something like that, who came up to us on the day of that celebration and said, I, I never knew you could even do anything like this. I only have ever been to a church or a funeral home. And this is what I want for me. That is just a reinforcement that what we're doing with farewelling is, is needed. And um, we just want to help more families, whatever that may be. It could be the smallest possible celebration. It could just be everyone dialing in and doing a virtual memorial, or it could be something where, you know, we are gathering. It's whatever is right for them to celebrate the life of that individual. That's that's what we're all about. That's a great story. Thank you. Uh, so, of course, we've seen a heartbreaking number of fatalities occur during the pandemic. Uh, how have you seen that affect bereavement care and end-of-life planning? I think it's opening up conversations. One of the things we have, uh, I wrote actually a piece about the fact that, as Karen mentioned earlier, I think there's a, ta- a fear around talking with your loved ones. Um, and we have a piece that I wrote, which is, I talked to my mom about death and we're both still here. And I think that has become easier um, as it's become more important. I will say that even as easy as it is for me, it's still hard when you're actually faced with real decisions and you're seeing death in front of you. It's scary. So as beneficial as it is to have the conversations, it's still tough. I think it's made not only people more empathetic, 
but it's also brought light to the importance of the conversation globally. I think companies have realized the importance of bereavement leave and opening up conversations and mental health. I think people are now planning ahead in whatever whatever you deem that term, right? Whether it's getting their paperwork together or simply thinking about their services. And overall, I, I do believe it's made us a more empathetic society. And uh, uh, this question just occurred to me, but also during the pandemic, uh, we've seen a lot of isolation. A, a large number of families were not able to gather um, for for a funeral due to the need to, to social distance. You know, how have you been navigating that issue um, during the past couple of years? Yeah, I think um, that is, and I'm sure, you know, Liz can speak to this as well. It has been one of the most heartbreaking elements of this because I think we would all agree that part of the process of, you know, gathering after a loss or even being able to be there with someone, you know, while they are in the process of dying to be with your loved one is something that is so elemental to our ability to, to process loss and grief. And, you know, for me, that's just been, it's, it's been devastating in terms of seeing that in the families that, that we're serving. But as soon as COVID, you know, really became a thing, we created a, um, a free helpline where we just took calls and tried to connect people with resources. Um, and we just found that, I mean, even more, like there's always this, this shell shocked kind of quality to when you've just experienced a loss, but then add to that everything else that was going on in our crazy world. And I think it just created another layer of chaos. So we tried to help in any way we could just linking people with what they needed and trying to, you know, provide resources. But I think just to say another thing that we did was we we specifically got with a technology partner to build this platform to create this um, possibility of virtual gatherings so that whatever the situation was, people could meet each other in a space that was more polished and more worthy of celebrating the life of an individual than just a shaky cell phone camera and a Zoom, you know, conference call, which of course, if that's what you had to do, there's nothing wrong with that. But just, we just thought, how can we make this just a little bit better, still give a, a kind of a sacred, if you will, space to families to be able to, to gather in whatever way they can. Um, we have seen with our memorial websites, for example, obviously, I mean, cremation we know is on the rise anyway, but people either having a burial or a cremation and then like saying it within the memorial website, we're not going to gather right now, we're going to wait. And so what we have found is as a result of COVID, sometimes the memorial celebrations are being planned more thoughtfully for farther down the road. I don't know, Liz, if you would agree with that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we've seen a bunch of that. And I know even in talking to funeral directors, obviously cremation is on the rise. And everyone, and I think it's how we feel about life in general, right? And a lot of our gatherings were saying, okay, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait. And funerals are no different. So can you talk about the steps that you take to identify the needs of the families that that farewelling is designed to assist and and some of the gaps that you were trying to fill? I was going to say it's about actually listening and not having an agenda. I think oftentimes 
people have the assumption that they know what someone wants. And for us, it's about truly learning, learning about the person from every angle, learning about the needs of the family. Not only is every person unique, but as we know, funerals are as much about the living as they are about the person we're celebrating. And so each story is going to be different and each need is going to be different. Obviously, with virtual, another benefit that we tend to overlook is the ability for everyone to be there. We live in such a nomadic society nowadays that at one point, it was tough for everyone to attend a funeral. And it would be often that you would miss something because simply you could not get to that location. And now with virtual, you're able to have, you know, to, to log in and to be there. And having said that, as far as planning, whether it's a memorial or a funeral, again, it's really listening to the person and on our end, knowing that, as Karen said, we, we can and will make you know, everything happen. We'll move mountains, as she told you, with, you know, getting the permit that wasn't available. And yeah. I think for us, that's, that's the big thing is, is, is knowing that we can offer anything and, and truly being creative. Yeah, and I think for me, just coming out of the, you know, the world of hospitality and I mean, hospitality is service to people, maybe in uh, lower stakes environments, but you are still caring for people. And so I think for me, that just directly translates. And we do have different channels that people come to us through depending on where they are in their process. And I think our goal is to be able to meet them wherever they're in the process. So for example, we will get people just writing in on our chat and saying, oh, hey, I'd like to, um, you know, my, my mom just died and I'd like to plan a virtual celebration for her. Could you tell me more about that? And then we can jump on with them. We can get on the phone with them. We can send them information and we can very quickly help them to understand what's involved with that. And we have a very streamlined process to kind of walk them through personalizing that event and gathering the things that we need. And it's very, it's very easy for them. We can put it together as quickly as they like or be as thoughtful and detailed about it as, um, as they need. And then, you know, so we'll have people writing in on email or coming in through chat or being referred to us by providers in the space who um, have heard about us or who have spoken with us or worked with us before and saying, oh, you should really talk to Fairwelling about this because they can help you. And so, you know, I, I think for me, that's how I look at it is meeting them where they are, like, you know, determining where are we in this process and then figuring out more high level to start what, you know, how can we be of service? How can we help? And if they're like, oh, gosh, I don't even know because I don't know what to do. Well, then we know how what to activate there is like for next steps and checklists and things like that. Or if it's like, I just need your help with this specific thing, then, um, you know, we have a, a process that we can take them through. But I really do apply the the principles of event planning where you kind of start with the bigger picture of what are we, what do we want to do here? And where are we in the process? And then you get that bigger vision or mood or thinking around the event. And then you, you slowly get more and more detailed until you have, you know, a timeline and order that people are speaking. You've chosen really inspirational readings. You have meaningful music. You have, um, like we just did a, a virtual event on Sunday and it was for someone who was a musician. And the whole thing was just, woven through with music and it was so moving to see him that you know the, the gentleman who had died playing his drums happily 
And then his band, who are now three instead of four, playing a tribute song for him, you know, and then the song that his his wife and daughter chose for the slideshow that we played, it was just all extremely personal and moving. And we were able to take them through that process of crafting that. So they come to us in different ways and we walk through the, we walk with them through the process in whatever way suits them. And uh, do you collaborate or engage with hospice providers in the course of your work? And if so, how do you foster those connections? Uh, yes. So one of the things that we have, um, you know, I, I mentioned that initially we kind of just set out to be a resource and we're very much targeting individuals and families. And, and now we are at that point in our process where through our network, through people that we do know, and also just through outreach and looking at organizations that we admire and, and want to partner with, we have begun to, you know, to work with different providers and, and to pursue partnerships to be a resource for their families. And it's something that, you know, we, we really value. We know that hospice providers are not only caring for families, but really advocating for them and are trying to help them connect their families with, with good resources and, and tools that they need. And so for us, there's no better partner than someone who is already in service of the same families that we hope to serve and how we, you know, we are constantly striving to learn more um, from the hospice provider community about the ways that we can help where, you know, where, how can we be helpful to providers in hospice with the families that they're working with? How could we help them create more modern materials or, you know, just be there for the times when let's say where there is a gap in what hospice does for them, um, whatever that may be. And so that is something that's very exciting for us and we have been very well received. So we're, we're really excited about that. Well, Liz and Karen, thank you both so much for being here. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, I'd like to thank uh, all our listeners who tuned in today or whenever they may be listening. And uh, I hope you both uh, take care and best of luck with Farewelling. Thank you very much for having us. Yes, thank you so much, Jim. And thank you also for, um, for everything you do. Thank you so much. Please take care.